Hello, and welcome to the First Issue Podcast. Mike D., what's our podcast about? We are the weekly comic book podcast where we discuss the most hyped number one issues each week and aid you through the muddy and murky waters of the comic book landscape. Tell us what we're going to cover this week. Gladly. This week we're going to cover comic books that came out on December 6th. First we've got Rocco's Modern Life coming out on Kaboom, an imprint of Boom Comics. Then we've got Sleepless out on Image. And finally we've got Paradiso out on Image as well. Got a bunch of stuff for you this week. If this week doesn't get you into comics, then you are dead. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking die. <laughs> uh, yep, I'm, I am so pumped about this week's worth, worth of comics. All righty, righty, right, 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 right. Who do we have in the club today? And since we are covering Rocco's Modern Life, what was your favorite television show as a kid? I'm Mike DeStacey, my favorite kid show was, ah, Real Monsters. That's a good one. It was in that same Nicktoons block. Mm -hmm. It was just so weird and creepy and different from all the other cartoons, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, All, I think, early 90 cartoons are pretty far out. But that one in particular was so far out to me, and that really drew me to it. Yeah. Hey, this is Budget King, and my favorite cartoon was, or my favorite kid show was for sure Reboot. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, probably the first 3D animation ever to have happened on television before Final Fantasy the movie. And it was amazing. They literally fought viruses that were computer viruses. Everything about that show was great. You know that show's coming back, right? I did know that was coming back. Yeah. Is it like live action or something? I think it's in the same realm of like 3D animation. I think they're going to stick with that. I hope to God it's a reboot of Reboot. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> this is Greg Lichtai, and my favorite cartoon TV show was Mighty Max. Fuck yeah. Oh, I loved that show. And that show really opened my eyes to just like some really complex storytelling. And bonus, it had a toy line that fit perfectly <laughs> in with the TV show, which I feel like a lot of 90s cartoons did that heavily. The toys were like. Polly Pockets, but for boys. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Like, literally. You're absolutely Wait, right. Have we talked about this? How I bought the uh, mountain, Skull Mountain, when the day I got this job here? Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You totally did. <laughs> I have a job now. Skull Mountain. Yes. eBay purchase done. <laughs> <laughs> Your 401k wasn't even fully set up. And you're on eBay just like, where the fuck is that thing? Bloop. <laughs> uh, my name is Caitlin Morosic, and I watched a lot of, I guess they would be more puppet shows like Dinosaurs. Um, Eureka's Whoa. Castle. Do you guys? Did you ever watch oh, that? Oh yeah, yes. And but like, I loved Nick in the '90s too. Like, I liked Rugrats. We already covered that pretty heavily. I, I watched a lot <laughs> of we? Ninja Turtles, which was outside of that, I think. But it was—I don't remember where that was on. And then Wild Thornberries. Ooh, yeah. I watched cartoons way too long though, because I loved Fairly Odd Parents, and that was like kind of past the time where I should be really I like tuning in and stuff like that. And Proud Family. Do you remember that one? Proud Family. Yeah. Penny yeah. Proud. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Let's get this podcast started. Alrighty. So let's get into it with Rocco's Modern Life out on Kaboom. Uh, it's written by Ryan Ferrier and illustrated by, uh, who is it? Ryan? Ian McGinty. Ian McGinty. Uh, we open with Rocco working his job at the... Uh, telemarketer, and he's dealing with a particularly uh, angry customer, which leads him to transfer the call to his boss because it's getting a little bit out of hand. 
Uh, it kind of sets up a pretty funny joke because the boss is actually a manatee. And then <laughs> the boss fires Rocco, and then Rocco goes, oh, the huge manatee. And the reason that's funny is because the boss's name is Hindenburg. Oh, oh what? Whoa, there is layers. <laughs> I'd only caught the pun. Yeah, I didn't even same. catch that he was a manatee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, the huge manatee. Oh, my God. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's so good. Oh, so that starting leads Rocco. Dark. Yeah, starting out real dark, which is my favorite kind <laughs> of start. <laughs> Expand on that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, uh, so that leads us on this uh, tale of Rocco trying to find new employment um, to pay for the bills and the empty fridge and for food for Spunky because he's so hungry. He has that grumbly tummy. Uh, he is rejected at many places. Um, you get kind of a, uh, a funny quip with a comic book shop because he's not a real nerd. He's a fake nerd, and he doesn't know these minute details about insignificant comic books. So meta. Yeah, very yeah, meta, I like which it. I yeah. really enjoyed. Um, he, there was a part where he got a, uh, tried to get a job at a chicken place, and they fired a chicken who was <laughs> working at the chicken, chicken place. Yes. who was cooking chicken. Who exclaims, chicken's my dang life! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I thought was super funny. <laughs> Uh, ultimately, though, th- those jobs don't pan out, and so, um, he, with the help of his friend Heifer and Filbert, the turtle and cow, respectively, Rocco finds a roommate to move in and kind of split the cost of living, and we get, uh, our first introduction of a new character named, uh, oh, Chalmers. Something Chalmers. real, yeah, something real millennial. His name's Chalmers, yes. and he's a sloth. Like everyone's nightmare roommate. Oh, God. And you'd think with a sloth, oh, he's gonna be a kind of a mellow, slow-moving creature. Mm, nope. nope. Not in Rocco's world. He is this party animal. I remember, I remember Rocco's uh, modern life being a lot like Meet the Parents. Like, it's like, Rocco's always doomed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's, like, yeah. always, like, meeting his end. Um, yeah, things really don't waiting, go well. You're not waiting for yeah. it to turn around for in him. This, in, this, <laughs> uh, in this issue, he sticks his hand in a fryer, in a <laughs> grease fryer. <laughs> he burns his hands. Probably third-degree burns that he'll never recover from. Did you get the pun, though, from that scene where he burns his hands and he... he he uh, dips his hand into a milkshake, and then Heifer goes, "Hey, Rocco, that's a nice handshake you got there." <laughs> Why is Heifer in in the in the restaurant? He's just following him on his job hunt. Yeah, <laughs> I think just based on the conversation we're having so far, we don't have to tell you that we loved this book. Yeah. Absolutely, it's perfect for fans of the series. Yes, and if you're a younger person, maybe jumping into this, I think it's pretty fun too. Obviously, still some. My, you know, sm- small adult themes that we're seeing here, but still such a fun, yeah. good yeah. book. That's There's some... what I was thinking. It was kind of like a, in keeping with the audience that it had to begin with, like now, like uh, the millennial range or whatever, like touching on some light, like not very happy themes, I think, right. that no. the generation has experienced, but still in keeping with. This is still for us. <laughs> Rocco's modern life was kind of the redheaded stepchild of the the Nick boom that happened. You got Doug, Rugrats, um, Ren and Stimpy. We mentioned all, all real monsters. And Rocco's modern life was like people may have liked it, but like p- people like now are like Rugrats changed my life or Doug changed my life. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh yeah, r- r- uh, Rocco's modern life was kind of weird, <laughs> but I liked it or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. And I th- oh good. Looking back on it, I think it's easy to tell that there were some real artists working Absolutely. on this show. Really creative people who uh, 
weren't very held back by a network telling them what not to do. Mm-hmm. There was I, I hope it, they bring it back in this in Rocco's modern life. But one of my favorite things was when he would go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. It was this like European style, incredibly like industrial, like weird, barren, like post-apocalyptic grocery store. <laughs> um, and it was I was always just like I loved it. It felt like. <laughs> I don't know, the height of consumerism. The, it, Rocco's Modern Life had a lot of like weird consumerism kind of like commentary as well. Yeah, the company being, that he works for being called Conglama. Uh-huh. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. So uh, that was Rocco's Modern sorry. Life. Rocco's <laughs> Modern Kaboom. Life. This had a lot of covers too, which were fantastic. Uh, amazing. Yeah, so good. A lot of variant covers, so check it out. Oh. I got a little bit of B-52's voice in there at the end. Yeah. Did you hear that? Rocco's Modern Life. Rocco's Modern Life. <laughs> Fans of this podcast, listeners of the podcast, did you guys know the B-52s did the theme song to Rocco's Modern Life? I did, and then I forgot, and then the article that Mike sent reaffirmed it. Okay. If you did know, listeners, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know. (laughs) F-I-R-S-T. Next up, we've got Sleepless Number One from Image Comics. This is... Uh, has art and words by Sarah Vaughn and Leela Del Duca. So our story is set in a medieval-type era. Uh, it opens in these royal catacombs where we find Pipenia, a grieving daughter of a recently deceased king. She's visiting her father's grave when a young knight named Serenic finds Pipenia and escorts her to the coronation of the new king, who is her uncle. So following that coronation ceremony, our princess and knight slip out of the celebration where we get a glimpse of the two having like a bit of a moment before they're interrupted by an assassin making an attempt on Pepinia's life. Something we later find has happened before. Um, Of course, it's the first issue, so our night prevails, but we're left with a lot of uncertainty, unease, and questions. Uh, For me, this book doesn't overwhelm us much with with large amounts of dialogue. It was pretty brief. Um, which to me makes the world building and questions this book presented that much more impressive. I, I really liked this book. Um, the, I'll, I'll say that one of the first questions I wanted to ask you guys was that the book very passively mentions a lot of magical and supernatural items and characteristics of characters. What did you guys think about that? I, I remember having a question about a scene where she's it's at the coronation. She's talking to this woman, or this woman is addressing her. And addressing her as if she were her father's wife, but not her mother. So I'm like, all right, well, I want to know what's going on with that. And then there's like this watercolor mark using symbolism that's kind of going to tell you about that whole thing. So I don't know. It kind of kept it moving in other ways for me that I really enjoyed because that symbolism was the woman's dress pattern. Yes. So it was amazing. Beautiful, beautiful art direction in this book. There's a handful of pages where you're just like, wow, there, you know, encapsulating the area with flowers and their yes. similar tones to, you know, different sections with the same flowers, things yes. like that. Really interesting there. Heavy, heavy themes throughout this book that, you know, when a book with so little dialogue to, you know, weave in the theme of sleeplessness throughout yes. this night, I believe. I think we're supposed to take literally that he doesn't sleep. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and that maybe his place of rest is elsewhere. Ooh, I didn't pick that up. That's so, interesting. She says that when she he's taking her on the way to the coronation, mm-hmm. she's like, I don't want to go in this room. I don't like walking by the place of your rest. I don't like walking past your resting place. Oh. So I'm like, I don't yeah. 
Does that mean or, where they or, die though? Yeah, he and and he does mention his kind of like timeline of death a little bit. There might be some type of play with the eternal sleep. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I miss that. Um along that sleeplessness theme mm-hmm. that I thought was really beautiful is the level of bags underneath people's eyes. Yeah. So the sleepless night, which is also a pun for sleepless night, like mm-hmm. you would sleep through, um, has like the biggest bags underneath his eyes. But everybody has tiny bags because there's times of t- when they're not sleeping, which I love the idea of. Um, there was a there's a, there's this movie where this guy doesn't sleep forever. Uh, what's that called? The Machinist. Mm. Um, and like you start as watching that movie, you start to feel like just weirdly like hip hypnotized into this like trance of like everybody's kind of felt that where you haven't slept for a while. Mm-hmm. And that was the feeling of this like comic was like, I, I feel I'm not sleepy, but like delusional because I'm like lacking in sleep. One of the next things I wanted to ask you about this book was that we've got a particularly diverse set of characters here. Mm-hmm. And I think using a, a way bygone era as a device to make that really pop and stand out uh, was great. Did you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, and I again, this is another book that completely nails not being showy about, look what we're doing. We're doing this on purpose. It's just a world where this is how it is. Mm-hmm. And you're dropped right into the middle of it. The narrative doesn't suffer. Oh, surprise. Right. <laughs> it's wonderful, and it's beautifully done, I, in my opinion. I would be interested to hear what some of maybe our listeners think, too. Definitely. Yeah. Miss Ford. <laughs> so speaking of strong women in comics and what they brought to this, um, this book kind of read like a romance period piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys think that this book is like sleepless? In Seattle, <laughs> is this is this a book? Is this a comic by women for women? Ooh, uh, no, it, it is so. And Sleepless Seattle is a, not a movie for women by women. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you asshole. Yeah, yeah. Said, this said, was a setup. Actually, let me say everyone. that Budget King told me to work in a Sleepless in Seattle reference, and I said I'm gonna look like an asshole for trying to compare this to Sleepless in Seattle. And then That's he true. fucking points a finger at me for it immediately. You're right. Wait, let's re- let's rephrase that. Jesus. Take- Actually, I want to say you did a good job. You did a fucking great oh, weaving job. Weaving that. Yeah, in. I was the whole time. I was like, how am I going to work yeah, in sleep in Seattle? I my my improv was paled in comparison to you. Uh, <laughs> Leave that in because I feel like I schooled Budget King. You <laughs> totally did school me on that one. Uh, Yep, romance, but I enjoyed it. I didn't want to come across as well, chauvinistic. And I think that our conversation leading up to that question shows you that we all loved this book. We're three yeah. guys and one woman in a podcast, <laughs> and we're all talking about and we're, all, we're all gushing over this. So mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this book was incredible. I thought from the very beginning, I'm going to love this book. It's just the, well, the way the art hit me it, and the, the way the story unfolded. Well, I... Th- I th- sorry. No, go ahead. I think um, what distinguishes it from just being a romance book, which I know that we've, we've kind of moved away from, it's not just that, but it's, it's not a will they or won't they get together it's not a let's enjoy their courtship it is she's got assassination attempts going on and even if she stays and there is no assassination attempt she's going to be subject to the changes of the new king's rule in this land which might not be so favorable to her to her and he is kind of a sworn protector in general and that happens to be very invested die he has a timeline at least we don't yeah yeah, Yeah. that's what i mean that's kind of why i was getting confused because if you are literally sleepless have you made 
a vow of some kind of mythical or magical. Right. Like you know, the Jedi? Char- cate- yeah, characteristic or what? What's? But that's, I mean, all that to say <laughs> there's a lot more going on. If they make a plush doll, uh, doll of the dog they have, mm-hmm. I would buy that instantly. Same. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. <laughs> that did did it have a name, the dog? Thing. No, it does. It does fake yawn though once. Or like a coat where that's just around your neck. Ooh, like that. yeah. Merch. Merch. Um, <laughs> so you said that the dog faked yawn. I that part kind of stood out to me because uh, the female lead, her name's Poppy, right? Mm-hmm. Like she, we that's found her out true the, name. Her true name's yeah. Poppy. Poppy kind of gives this yawn while her and the sleepless guardian are walking through the hallway, and as soon as she yawns, he yawns, and then the dog yawns. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I just read an article the day before about if you don't yawn when someone else yawns that may be a sign that you're a psychopath (laughs) 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 because you don't because when you yawn when someone else yawns that shows that you shows yeah empathy Mm -hmm. and so uh wow we know that this character is empathetic don't need to go down this road but i have never seen mike d yawn when i yawn (laughs) but he worked in that sleepless in seattle joke so (laughs) probably accurate i don't sleep oh (laughs) he is a sleepless sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> Stone cold. Oh, I'm getting death stares now. Stone cold sleepless. If Stone eyes cold. could talk. Fuck you guys. <laughs> if eyes could talk, they'd be saying five stars. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> Give them to us. Yeah. <laughs> On iTunes. And a whole be- a bunch of people did. A lot of people. Yeah, you guys are so wonderful. Many responded did. really well. So thank you so much for I, listening. Despite how much we made you listen to of the five oh stars, my gosh, we're sorry. You went and did it anyway. <laughs> but I tell you what, I got an extra copy of Rocco's Modern Life. I got a couple other little comic books laying around. Ooh. If you guys review our podcast, give us five stars. Take a little screenshot while you're doing it, and can I you guess email it or you can yeah, email that to us. DM me on our Instagram that you reviewed. And I'll pick somebody, and I'll send you a little, Ooh, little, little contest. Package. Give them our email one more time in case they don't have it. It is firstissueclubpodcast at gmail.com. Ba-boom. All right. Next we have Paradiso, out on image by Ram V and Devmala Pramanik. This comic is a dystopian post-apocalyptic comic where a catastrophe called Midnight has sent the world into, well, we don't really know. Is it electricity-less? Is it machine-less? Is it lightless? Uh, it's a mystery as to what the actual dystopian thing caused, but we do know there's some type of lack of um, in- innovation or technology that happened. We find ourselves a few centuries after the Midnight um, and we have been set back, in, in at least technologically, in, in, in time, where people are coveting machines from centuries time ago. We follow main character David, who is running from his past and see- seeking something. He holds what looks to be a magic light bulb that can reanimate things, um, but this obviously is a coveted possession in this world and will send a bunch of different uh, people and, and areas feuding over it. 
David's goal is to get inside Paradiso. He lives on the outside of the outskirts where a lot of people are making do in this now dystopian future. We don't know what Paradiso is. This book holds a lot of mystery uh, to it, but it all, Paradiso could be some type of answer to his past. It could have some type of large amount of technology. It is guarded by some really awesome characters. Uh, and there is both peril for David on the inside and the outside of Paradiso do so in this future. I got a question for you guys. In a possible dystopian future, which I have already claimed my large affinity for, would you find yourself looking out for number one or trying to be a team player? Because I think in this comic book, we get a lot of both characters playing both sides of the fences, but also believable and not holistically unlikable. I totally agree. Um, I'm going to have to fall back on how I play D&D for this. But I think I am incapable of just running a solo story. I try to play to strengths of other people that are in my group, like to a fault. Like I, I just, it's an ensemble for me. That's how you get there. That's how you do what you're trying to do. I think that's good. Yeah, great answer. I feel like I like to picture myself as that standalone person who can like do it on their own, um, but ultimately fall back on the support of others. Well, you want the glory, sure. You definitely Like, you want to do all that you can. (laughs) Yeah. But... That's just not me. Caitlin and I have had this discussion many times. If there was some kind of zombie apocalypse that happened or some kind of zombie outbreak, how would we handle it? We we both handle it differently because I would just be like, well, I'd probably just try to find, like, a tall building and hold up there and just live the rest of my life. And Caitlin's just like, I would jump off the building. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you just end it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I just don't have, have the will to live in fear. I have mad like respect that. for that, actually. Jeez. I just That's don't. Great. The I, anxiety that I live with day to day already is bad enough. <laughs> I can't imagine adding that to like a horde overtaking you at any moment. What made me think of this is Noira, who, who we meet in here, uh, she's essentially a villain because she's kind of throwing the main character under the bus for having this magic light bulb. Uh, but I kind of feel for her. She's desperately wanting to get in Paradiso. She doesn't have the right uh, wares or she hasn't scavenged the right item to get in there. She ran across this thing. She doesn't know David. So she's going to throw him under the bus to try to get in her ticket into Paradiso, which looks like it's going to send a domino effect of a bunch of shit happening. Right. Um, and I'm not, I don't hate her. I think she, I hope she's a character that also comes along in the story. Yeah, I felt, I honestly felt weirdly empathetic to her too, even as she's doing this, because I'm looking there's a panel where she's like getting into bed for the night. And I'm just thinking it must be really hard for these people from the Badlands to come in. And you probably have to pay for your stay there with the Redwaters or what are they called? But yeah, the people right. who are <clears throat> carrying you back and forth and you're trying to scavenge and make enough money, but you have to pay for where you're staying there. I got into like a weird thing where I was like, that must suck because she sees him come in, swoop in, get a ride like the same day. And she's, like, probably having to pay for her oh, yeah. stay there and still not making enough to get a ride. Just burning trash every day. Yeah. So this comic is somewhat of a commentary on dystopian or post-apocalyptic futures. So I think if you like those types of things, you'll like this. But it's also, like, t- toying with some different ideas in, in that um, the type of cast of characters we get, different, like, expectations, mystery, surprise, things like that. The one thing that I, like... I loved about this, and I'll wear my art education hat now, is if if you just look at the bionic people that are in it, I, I can't actually fully explain 
what they are. If they're human or if they're a robot, you just have to look at the artistry. Like there's not any text that's explaining their uh, how they function as like people. What did you guys think of those? I was wondering characters? when we were gonna get to them because they play a very vital role and they're fucking bad ass looking. Yeah, and I love <laughs> so their names, cool. Mr. Dandy. Yeah, Mr. Dandy and um, who's the guy, other guy? They're really quirky characters. Yeah. They seem like oversimplified personalities, don't they? Like mm-hmm. maybe they've lost a piece of themselves because they're part machine now. Right. Right. The one guy keeps clicking in the middle of his sentences yeah. like a tick. Really does. The they print a website on the back of this book, which would seemingly invite you to go to it since there are thousands of these everywhere. It's an unfinished website. With Lauren Ipsum placeholder text oh, all really? over it. No. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Tricked you. That's funny. If anyone doesn't know, Lauren Ipsum is just like this old, like, lost Latin script that we, like, don't know what it means. <laughs> so artists just use it as, like, placeholder so we know what stuff looks like with text in it. <laughs> maybe that's, do you think that's on purpose or do you think that's poor oh, oh, planning? It, maybe it is. That'd I, hope be pretty interesting. I hope it's on purpose. Because we don't know what Paradiso is yet. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it evolves more as the uh, that would be brilliant. As more comics oh, come that out, that would be so, engaging. so smart. And if it's that wasn't the plan, then make it that. And <laughs> you're welcome for the idea. Yeah. <laughs> also, we should know that this is part of the White Noise project that you mentioned yep. last episode, mm-hmm. which is a conglomerate of different writers and illustrators through Image. Yep, who are seemingly trying to push genres that are familiar in different ways. Yeah, and they are successfully doing that with mm-hmm. these last two books that they put out. Yep. Void Trip was the other c- counterpart to that. Yes, and I just found out that Void Trip and Paradiso have connecting covers. Oh, did, my God. Does oh, that beautiful. mean they have connecting universes? I hope so. That would be sweet. It, I, I mean, doubt it, though, but that would be sweet. I don't see how it would work, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Unless Paradiso is like another planet. That it, would, Void have Trip, be, it would have to be a planet they're unaware of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just kind of a fun thing to do with connecting covers, but if they tie it all together, holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, good catch. That's why I love this podcast, because it's so nice to have a reading club mm-hmm. about this stuff. And for our listeners, too, I think our podcast and our conversations are so much more fun if you read along with us and are part of the conversation. Yes. I would really suggest you do so. I think yeah. it's, it's so much fun every week to, to talk about these things. And tell us stuff we missed. Because yep. I would love that, too. Because the stuff you miss is what makes you like the comics so much more and mm-hmm. take these stories so yeah. much deeper. Uh, can I also say about dystopian future books, unless you had something? No, does it? Uh, that the characters, as a, as a common theme I noticed after reading this, some of the characters in these books are so sexy to me. Like, what it is? what is it about dystopian future stuff where they're like, they're all wearing, like, rags and shit, but they look like high fashion models. Yeah. yeah. Don't they? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's something about, like, dystopian future where the characters are just, like, you know, so just fucking... Just letting it flaunt. Cool and yeah. just, like, yeah, flaunting it and raggedy and... Totally. Isn't it fascinating that crust punks try to take, like, the Mad Max style as their fashion? And so there's, like, some type of, like, fetishization of that? You know what's so weird to me about that type of person and that type of style is that they... When you meet different people like that, they all have such a specific type of style. And you'd think that if you were leaving culture and society behind, mm-hmm. everyone would be so unique. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? But everyone wears, like, 
black jeans, brown sweatshirts yeah. with like black uh, patches sewn over everything. Yeah, they all like, have a shitty dog with them, and they all have a dog with them. <laughs> if you can't afford food for yourself, yeah, why? Yeah, why I just would you snatch get those dog? dogs away from them? It's like, oh, nope, this is I mine know. now. Yep. <laughs> if any press punks are listening right now to uh, the podcast, call your parents. Yep. Yeah. How did you get an iPhone? <laughs> right. Yeah. Call your parents and take a shower. Yeah. Stop. Stop living with me five years oh, ago. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was the motel for crust punks in Kansas City. Really? For, it's uh, true. Yeah. Budget King was. Is that how you got the name Budget King? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that, that origin story will is for a later episode. Oh though. no. It's, uh, too professional. Too highly respected. Of an <laughs> were they not? Were they nice house guests, or were they just like rude? they were? They were great, actually. Were they? Yeah. They, okay. They're still my friends. So I hate saying they. Yeah, <laughs> I'm probably being a little bit unfair. No, I I shit on them too. There's a handful of them that just got into like trouble. Uh, not trouble, actually, just like trouble. an infinite loop of nothingness. <laughs> like they just hit the void really hard. Okay, and that does it. That was Paradiso out on Image. So uh, did a lot of great stuff today. If you are listening to this ever, come on and follow us on social media. We are F I R S T First Issue Club. Um, and all of the other places where you can get your social media. The First Issue Club is a proud member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. We are recorded in KCR Studios, and our theme music is by Primary Color Music. And we are produced by Hodap, uh, Matt. I'm saying his name as if you would do it in a uh, phone yeah. book. Remember? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Adams, Adams Douglas. That's how you say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a little update. He Call is back. still dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm Michael DeStacy. Bye-bye, babies. I'm Caitlin Morosic, and I will show myself out. This is Greg Lichtai, signing off. I'm Budget King. See ya. Five stars. Bye. Five stars. (laughs) 